And welcome back. I'm Ron Alesco, and uh, as many of you have been longtime listeners to this show, you uh, probably are aware of a gentleman who's been a guest on this program, whose music we've played. He was one of the Ricks who uh, put out a brilliant CD last year. And he also hosts his own radio show, which uh, you can hear on folkmusicnotebook.com, as well as a, a station in Vermont. Uh, his name is Rick Palieri, and Rick has just issued a wonderful book. It's called Banjo Man, Adventures of an American Folk Singer. And we are happy to have Rick with us today. Rick, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ron. I'm so happy that uh, we have a little chance to to chat uh, because, uh, you know, there, there are just so many people writing to me these days after reading my book um, and asking me questions about different things. You know, when they say that, you know, when you write a book, your life is an open book. <laughs> yeah. So everything is fair game. <laughs> well, that's true. I, I got to tell you, I was, you know, you. this is your second book, actually. And, and, and there's a, a number of parts from the original book that are incorporated into this new one. Um, but when I first got it, I was wondering, well, what's this going to be like? You know, I know Rick for many years. I know all of his adventures, uh, his mentors like Pete Seeger and Utah Phillips, who he's worked with and became good friends with. So I was expecting a lot of stories. But what I wasn't really expecting was your story and how personal it got and how you intertwined it with uh, really what's the history of folk music for the last uh, half century or so. Well, you know, that was, um, I think one of the things I really wanted to show, Ron, was how having mentors in your life changes the direction of your life. Mm -hmm. And as these mentors came into my life, if it wasn't for, you know, having people like, uh, like Pete come into my life early, my life could have went in a whole different direction. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I, I really needed that, you know, because I came from a dysfunctional family um, and uh, I didn't have any guidance uh, of where to go. And I was I was searching as, as most young people do. And as you're in that that process, especially when you're in your teens, you go in a lot of crazy directions. And uh, I was hanging around, you know, with some <laughs> some unusual characters, let's say, as a young kid. And uh, they were pointing me in the best of directions. And um, when Pete came into my life, I just got really excited. I started reading everything that I could about him. And he became that mentor from far away. I never really expected to actually meet him or actually later become his friend uh, or any of these people, you know? But I think that once you open up that door, uh, things change. Yeah. And you know, you, you, uh, with Pete, I think, as you know, Ron, cause you, you've spent time with Pete too. Once you open the door with Pete Seeger, he invites you into his house. You know, and I'm not talking about his, you know, his house and beacon. I'm talking right. about his house, his life. And all of a sudden you start meeting all the people that uh, that you only read about, you know, and they would just 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 be there. Mm -hmm. Well, Rick, here, have you met Hetty West? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, I tell you. Uh, 
it was just that kind of situation, uh, you know, getting involved with a sloop Clearwater and uh, the early festivals, the Hudson River uh, a folk picnic kind of thing. You know, I was being MC and uh, I, I was right there getting to meet all these people in a very uh, informal way, uh, but learning from them. Mm-hmm. I can remember one of those, that early folk picnic, and uh, there was um, uh, Ed McCurdy. You remember Ed? Oh, I was good friends with Ed. I've had him on my show early on in, in my career. Wonderful man. And, you know, and he, he was backstage with his son and I yeah. was the MC and th- there was a, a Latin band that was going, you know, bananas and had the crowd going crazy. And his son was starting to panic and said, dad, how are we going to follow that? And he said, we're not going to give them what they want. We're going to give them what they need. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's it. <laughs> and, um, you know, and just having all of those kinds of people around you, Sis Cunningham, you know, uh, Utah and, and uh, so many others. And not just, not just famous people. As you could see in my book, there are a lot of people that are community people, mm-hmm, right? Right. Uh, people that you wouldn't know about. And they were just as important of pointing you that direction of, you know, the search. I mean, I was on a search for, you know, trying to find this music that we call folk from the time that I was 15 years old. I was hunting for searching out the people. Well, if I couldn't talk to, you know, to Leadbelly, I could talk to his niece, you know, Tiny Robinson. I, you know, I was going out of my way to spend time with, with source people, mm-hmm. not knowing how that would really affect the, the direction of my life. so intriguing because i'm you're not that old i know you just had a birthday happy birthday (laughs) 65 is not as young as i'd like to be (laughs) (laughs) you're 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 a young 65 believe me (laughs) 
but but you know you were able to witness and i i, I guess i in, in the same way in a different respect you know it's the same thing about this community that, we're, that you're talking about um it is more approachable i think than any other genre of music uh any other source of entertainment i worked in television for nearly 40 years and I can tell you there's something very special about our folk community that's different from anything else. And as you say about, you know, Pete introducing you to all these people, it's just such a a family. And I think that what you found is something that I think all of us find, whether we get to meet these people or just listen to the music. And what I really enjoyed about Banjo Man, uh, your your new book, is that you intertwined it, as you're saying, you were looking for direction, but you intertwined it with your story, which is sometimes, you know, very hard to to bring these stories out in, in public like you did. But you also bring in the history. Uh, anybody who wants to learn about folk music uh, can discover who Pete Seeger was through the writings of your book and Utah Phillips and all these other people, some of them famous. And as you said, some of them not so famous. Um, it, it, you know, Ron, there was something really important about that is the the other part of why I had to write this book. I wanted to thank my mentors in a, in a special way uh, that um, by sharing what they taught me to other people. You see, now that they're gone, um, I felt like it was important for me to take all the things that I learned from them and to put them in this book so that if you were getting involved in this music and you wanted to understand what it was like to be around with these people and what would they teach you, you know, if, if you had a chance to sit down with them, that all, everything that I could compile from uh, the teachings of, uh, of Pete and, and Utah and Jimmy Driftwood and, and so many others are all in this book for that reason, because they're not here anymore. And, and, and we become, in a sense, we carry, you know, we carry that information and it's now it's our job. I mean, they gave it to us. They gave us the tools. They taught us the lessons. They gave us the tools. And it's our job now to make sure that other people who won't have that chance to be with them, make sure that they get the, that same kind of mentoring. Sure. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I do this show and Folk Music Notebook, you know, to carry this music on, bring in all the new people that are taking that tradition, but not forgetting uh, all these wonderful folks. And I'm so glad you mentioned Ed McCurdy. Uh, he's someone I think a lot of people have forgotten about, but he, uh, he was an important part of this, this community. And uh, yeah, that's that the whole should... thing, Ron, is that it is, if we don't talk about these people, if we don't mention their names, uh, people will forget about them. You know, uh, I mean, in these days when uh, you don't know what to trust anymore <laughs> in the news, it really is important that those of us who have things that are true and and worth sharing, make sure that 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 gets out there. Ron, I wanted to ask you, what was the thing that surprised you the most about reading these stories? I, I think learning about you and how the music <laughs> came in. You know, I, again, I've known you for, for decades, really. Uh, I didn't really know your backstory. I, I knew you were from New Jersey. I didn't realize, you know, the tough time you've had growing up and, and how the music and that really changed you, as you were saying earlier. Um, maybe for our listeners, but maybe 
tell tell us how did you get attracted to this music? I mean, you grew up in the '60s, sort of like I did. You're only two mm-hmm. years older than me, um, and you know we were around all kinds of different styles of music. You know, the Beatles and the whole rock and roll and everything that took place then. But this is obviously something different. What was it that that gravitated you towards it? I, yeah, it's really kind of funny because I was carrying around uh, uh, amplifiers for a rock and roll band when I was a teenager. You know, this group called Exit, and uh, and I was I wanted to play music, but I I knew I couldn't play what they were playing, and there was something in my head. There was the sound of a banjo that was in my head. And, you know, of course, I had heard Foggy Mountain Breakdown. And remember that, the, the, the Village Stompers? Sure. They did the Greenwich Village song. You know, that was in my head. I was hearing the sound of the banjo. And I don't, I don't to this day know why the banjo came in my mind. But I was hearing it. And that, that's what, what started me on that quest to find it. And I didn't, I didn't even know about Pete Seeger until the band manager told me that Pete would come on Sesame Street, you know? And there, he said, there's this guy, a long, he said, a, a skinny guy with a big, long banjo. And I, I watched Pete on, on Sesame Street, and I was, like, hooked. It was, there was something, his smile, you know, and... Once, you know, I started reading about all the different aspects of his life. And then, you know, you start reading about Woody Guthrie. And then you start, you know, reading about Lead Belly. And then you start reading about the Almanac Singers and, and on and on and on. And then you want to learn about those people. And so you start learning about that. And, you know, and meanwhile, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to play the banjo. You know, and, and at that time in the 70s, this is, you know, the banjo is sort of like a, a strange instrument because it works a lot with movies. You know, you had the, the big, you know, Foggy Mountain breakdown thing. And then by the time of the 1970s, it went quiet until dueling banjos and deliverance. And I was picking up before dueling banjos. <laughs> so it was really a quiet moment in banjo world. Uh, and there were I think there was only the Earl Scruggs book and Pete's book out there. Thank you. 
Pete's book and I read it every night. I didn't have a banjo yet. I would practice on my pillow, you know, the hand movements, trying to figure it out. And then when I did finally get my banjo, you know, I had to save up my lunch money. <laughs> you know, that's what I did because my mom, you know, I, I went through a whole series of musical failures where I would ask mom to buy this and that, and then I wouldn't do it. So by the time that the banjo came on, she was not interested. And so, you know, but I had this plan, you know, I said, where does a kid get money? Lunch money, you know? So I started saving up my lunch money. I was like, you know, on, on a hunger strike. <laughs> my mom didn't know it. <laughs> you know, I'm saving up my, my banjo money. And then I saw an ad for, there was an old banjo, was never bought, a Gibson RB180 long neck banjo. And the guy was desperate. He was a wholesaler. And I didn't even know what a wholesaler was. I called him up. He didn't know he was dealing with a 15-year-old kid, you know. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he sold me that banjo. I was $50 short from the price. And I confessed to my mom that I went, had stopped eating. <laughs> and she gave me that $50. And the guy drove the banjo to the house. And I don't know if, if any of you musicians out there... You all know this feeling when you open up the case of a new instrument and there's this aroma <laughs> that comes out, the wood and everything. Because this was an old banjo, but it was never bought. So it was brand new. And, uh, and so that's where you know, I started reading the book and practicing and, and then hitchhiking uh, down to uh, the Pine Barrens. You know, I, I, hitch, I had heard about Albert's Cabin and uh, that is such a funny story. You know, I had convinced, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, a teenager, it's, it's all about the, having an instrument. You know, I can remember all these stories about these old rock and roll bands. If you had a, an instrument, you were in the band, whether you could play <laughs> or not. <laughs> so I had convinced a friend of mine who had a mandolin that he could play it. <laughs> and we, went, we decided we had heard about Albert, Albert's Cabin. And we went uh, hitchhiking. We got down to Mount Holly. And we were in Mount Holly. And I, I was telling them, we found this little music store. And I was telling them, we're looking for Albert's cabin. And the guy says, oh, I'm going there tonight. You boys want to come along? So I was like, great. So you know, we climb into his car. And we have no idea who he is. I mean, he, you know, he owns a music store. I figure he's a nice guy. We're in his car. We're driving down, you know, the, the the uh the parkway and we get to this one point where he makes an uh, a turn and drives on the opposite side of the parkway and then goes into this dirt 
path. Now, remember, we're, he went on the opposite side of the parkway right. into the dirt path. And now we're like surrounded by, you know, there's, there's all kinds of like broken washing machines and mirrors and stuff stuck in trees. And like, like Dwayne and I, you know, we're looking at each other like, who is this guy? I mean, like he could be an axe murderer and, you right. know, when you're young, you know, <laughs> sure. like you're worried about like, I'm like, what's going on now? And we were at the point like we we're, we're almost like about to scream. <laughs> I can remember oh. this, you know, you're like, who is this guy? Where are we going? And all of a sudden we hear the sound of music. And there it was in the middle of the woods, Albert's cabin, the hunting lodge. And there were two guys sitting on the front porch. One was a young, young fellow named Max and this old guy, you know, and uh, he, they both had banjos. They're sitting there on the porch and I took out my banjo and we're talking a little bit, you know, and I think we played one song or something like that. And then he started talking, the old guy, he goes, he goes, hi, my name's Sam Hunt. I've been living here in the Pine Barrens all my life. You know, I make these banjos. I have lots of banjos. I make the banjos right here out of this wood. I chopped the wood myself. I have the wood stuck underneath my bed, bathtub, you know, and he went on and on. He was like talking fast and furious. Like I had never heard anyone talk like Sam Hunt before. And he looked at me and he said, now we're going to play the old Joe Clark. And I didn't know it. Oh. I saw it in the book, but I didn't know it. And I said, I didn't, I don't know that one. And he goes, he's, he calmed down. He goes, well, we'll teach it to you right now. And then he put my fingers on the, on the fretboard and we learned the song sitting there together. And, you know, and that's how I learned this music, Ron, yeah. is uh, throughout my life, I've lived a lot of the music. It wasn't just picking it up from an instruction book or, or, or a video or anything. I went out and I met with the people and, and, and not just here in, in this country, but all over the world. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up because, you know, the name Polieri, that's that's an Italian name, I, I mm -hmm. assume. But your mother was from Poland and mm -hmm. you became involved with Polish music. I mean, you could almost call this the bagpipe man, too, because of, <laughs> of, the, uh, of your wonderful uh, experience with that. But you, you started to explore Polish music and the Polish bagpipe. Was it, this was obviously something trying to learn a little bit more about your heritage? Yeah, well, I, I, I was in New Jersey over uh, visiting with a friend, Ju Judy Kane, up in Glen Gardner. And uh, we were sitting there having a cup of coffee. And I always loved her. She always would have magazines around. And I love to read all kinds of things. So I'm, I'm reading this National Geographic magazine. And I had an article for Springtime Hope for Poland. And I opened it up. And I'm looking at it. And there's a picture of a Polish bagpiper. And it, like, flipped me out. I didn't know that, that Poland had anything like that. And that was the beginning of that journey. Uh, I started writing to people. I was trying to figure out, you know, about this instrument. I didn't even know they had the wrong, they called it a kobza, which is not correct, but that's what they called it in there. And I was calling, you know, people asking about it and they thought I was joking. All these Polish uh, organizations, they never heard of a Polish bagpipe and, and they, they were not amused. <laughs> and, uh, Finally, I, uh, I, I went to, over to Rutgers and went into the library and, and looked to Grove's uh, um, musical instruments and musicians encyclopedia. And they talked about the Polish bagpipe and I wrote everything down. And then I started sending more and more letters. And uh, one of my letters reached uh, uh, the uh, embassy 
in, uh, in Poland. And I got invited to a festival in 1980 to come to Poland and perhaps learn ab about the, you know, these Polish bagpipes. And uh, at, by that time, I had met somebody at a dance group who got me a set of pipes. So I had this set of pipes. And then I, uh, I had this one record, Dudi Grazi, Dudi Basi, you know, that had like cuts of, of bagpipes on it. And there was one I really loved, this Gronicki, Gronicki. And, uh, and so I had learned that melody a little bit on this bagpipe, you know. Now, I, the, the listeners at home can't really understand what this is. I mean, this is a goat. <laughs> this is a goat. It's not like a regular bagpipe. It's like a goat with the hair on it, and it has a carved wooden goat's head on it, and you have a little fireplace bellows and a long drone. It's like nothing that you usually see when you think of bagpipes. And so I had this thing, and I'm squeaking out this tune, and I got invited there in Poland in 1980 to the Zeszów World Festival. And uh, I had uh, met uh, some people. I kept asking about bagpipes, and they kept saying, there is no bagpipes here anymore, you know? And, uh, and they were laughing because they were rocking their arms back and forth. No bagpipes. Oh, oh, oh. And I had no idea what they were talking about because I didn't realize quite the technique yet, but they were actually imitating the technique uh -huh. of the bagpiper. And uh, so I did find uh, a bagpiper there. And somehow, because I was in, in this festival, I had to do this contest and I really didn't want to do, I hate contests, but, you know, but there was this contest and um and i had to play this song that i i kind of knew it was gronichki gronichki the judges and there was a guy and he had a big beard and he was like really paying attention and they i won this festival they called it i think it was uh, a, a solo musician of the festival i got this little award blah you know and this guy yusuf broda comes over to me and he was actually the guy that was on the recording that i had learned the song from mm -hmm. so he was really excited and then, you know, he taught me some technique and, and gave me some, some lessons. But he said the most important, he said, we don't teach bagpipes to tourists. No, 
If you are sincere, you must come to Poland and live here with me. And that was like the, 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 the dream seed. You know, he gave me the dream seed. So I, now I came back. Now, by this time, I was singing with the, with the sloop singers on the Clearwater and stuff like that and with, with, uh, with Pete. Uh, and Pete, uh, he liked the idea that I was playing the bagpipes, but he really felt that it was important that because it was such a rare instrument, that I got to know it correctly, you know? And, uh, you know, he was writing me little letters of encouragement about that. And he said, if you, if you need help, I'll, I'll help you. And uh, so I realized that there was only one way to, to learn was to go there and live there. Mm -hmm. And I, I devised a grant. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what you do, right? Sure. <laughs> so I made up a grant and uh, it took a while to actually get accepted, but I did get accepted for a fellowship from the Kosciuszko Foundation. And Pete did. He stepped in and he wrote a letter of recommendation to the Polish government that I go there. So in 1984 uh, and 85, I was in Poland uh, living with Yusuf Broda and all the musicians. And at that time, Ron, there, there were a handful of people left carrying on the tradition, just a handful. And I met with all of those, those people and learned from them and all kinds of, and my book really goes into detail about that. But the really beautiful thing is today, there's a bagpipe revival going on in Poland. Two years ago, May the 3rd, which we all know is Pete's birthday, mm -hmm. I played the bagpipes for the entire town during this, this, uh, this festival. They asked me to come and it felt so right because here, you know, it was Pete's birthday, you know, and I was up there playing for the whole town from this gift that came in a way from Pete. And that was the cool thing was that Pete was always there for all of us. You know, Ron. Yeah, sure. You know, when, you know, when you asked to do the interview, he was yeah. there, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? Invited me to his house. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, so you've been to the house. You went up the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> driveway. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> the dirt path. Remember, yeah. anybody worth visiting has a difficult driveway. <laughs> That's true. And Pete's driveway, it was incredibly difficult. You never forgot that. That's you know? true. <laughs> and, and Pete's whole the compound up there, <laughs> the seeker house, was a different world. It was. And so when you went up there, you knew that you were doing something. You didn't realize how special it was at the time, mm -hmm. but you knew that this was something that you'll never forget. Uh, uh, just on the side, I remember, you know, after we did our interview, we're sitting down and, you know, she made lunch for us. And, uh, you know, it was just like, getting together with your neighbors. And then Pete goes, oh, look at this. And he shows me a picture 
It was taken at the Highlander School. It was him, Dr. Martin Luther King, Ralph Abernathy, and Rosa Parks all standing there. And he's showing it to me like you would show me a vacation picture. And I'm, <laughs> I, and I'm just like, I, I, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now, you know, realizing what this man went through and, uh, and, and who he knew and where he was and what part of the history that he's played. And, and he, it, he was so relaxed about it, you exactly. know. Exactly. Like, you went into the bathroom, right? You went into the bathroom, and there you saw the Kennedy Center honors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's the way it was. But he, I think he and, and most of our, our mentors were teaching us about life. You know, how do we live a good life? How do we live a principled life? You know, yeah, good things come to us, you know, but it's all part of the bigger thing of life. And, and as we go through life, we can see that um, the important thing is about friendship. The important mm-hmm. thing is about the people that we know. And during this pandemic, Ron, it's, it's more, I mean, it's, I'm a road warrior. You know, you read my book, you know that I've spent most of my life out on the road. And not to be able to go on the road? You know, I mean, that's one of the things that when I was proofreading or, or trying to proofread my book, you know, I found out that, that you know, typos are like uh, cats. You know, just when you herded all the cats, another one pops up from underneath <laughs> the bathtub. <laughs> oh, that's very true. Well, yeah, it's, it's so hard. You know, the, the fact that you released this book during this pandemic, uh, and as you said, you know, being a road warrior and being someone, you know, when you're publicizing a book, you need to get out in front of audiences. You need to do those personal book signings oh, yeah. and such, and you can't really do that. But yet, you're you're carrying on, and uh, right, it's going. I have on. a little piece to read. Yeah, from the means. book. Can yeah. I do that? Absolutely. Yeah, because it is. This is about the road. This is about my road, my life. Of you know, and uh, it goes like this. It's tough being out here on the road, living in a hundred towns every week not knowing a friendly soul to laugh with or cry with. Nighttime is worst of all, as you really feel truly alone. Passing through the small towns, you see that some of the houses have their living room or bedroom drapes pulled wide open. Riding by, you can get a peek into the lives of the people inside, lit by a naked light bulb or the television. You can see furniture and sometimes a few pictures on the wall. You hardly ever see the people, for they are hidden behind glass and wood, and their bodies are just mere shadows dancing on the wall. It's long after midnight. All the lights are out, and you, the voyeur, are bathed in the blackness and loneliness of the dark highway. In the towns, everyone has gone to bed. Children sleep restfully after that last loving goodnight kiss on their forehead, while their parents rock in each other's arms till they too fall gently asleep. For you, the traveler, there is no kiss, no fond embrace. Only the humming of the vibrating engine and the sound of the wind whipping across your windshield as you travel down an endless road. That's beautiful. It also it points out the uh, the sacrifices you make for your art. Oh. Yeah. Well, Ron, you know, I, I would leave here uh, in September and I wouldn't come back until December. And then I'd be here for two weeks and then... 
I went, uh, I wouldn't be back until May, end of May. I was doing, I did over a thousand schools across America and uh, lived, I didn't stay in hotels. I lived in a Volkswagen van with my Polish sheepdog, Koza. Mm -hmm. And uh, we traveled to every state in the lower 48 and, and met with incredible people on all different Native American uh, reservations, many reservations. And that's where I met Kevin Locke. And that's where I learned how to play the flute. And that's where I met Jimmy Driftwood was out on the road. And Guy Carowin stayed with Guy over at the, at the Highland Center one time. You know, it, it was like the road just brought you to all these different people. Mistress, siren of darkness, cloaked in black midnight, she bids me from home. In arms ever winding, I'm lost in a magic, destined to follow wherever she roams. Goodbye, New England, I'm off on your highway, past green fertile farmlands and fat Holstein cows Threading my way Down the banks of the Hudson I see New York City I'm on the road now The road is my mistress Siren of darkness Cloaked in black midnight She bids me from home Arms ever winding, I'm lost in a magic, destined to follow wherever she roams. When I'm on the road and leave my life behind, I seem to spend my time trying to go home. But when I return, my thoughts drift and yearn for an open highway and the song of the road. In the hills of the Badlands I'm slipping in quicksand My pockets threadbare The diesels are humming While my guitar's drumming A song of the road Wishing you were here The road is my mistress Siren of darkness Cloaked in black midnight She bids me from home Arms ever winding, I'm lost in a magic, destined to follow wherever she roams. 
Through rusty red canyons from Casper to Cody On snake-twisted rivers to Idaho Falls Just one more old night in this lonely old truck stop I'm back in this rig up and I'm headed home Oh, love And sometimes it would be, you know, I would get so bored, you know, I'd be out there on the road, you know, and this is true. When we, when we were in Poland, um, as a dance troupe, what we would do is we would entertain the kitchen staff after, you know, after we did a concert, you know, this is the, the old, the old way in Poland under communism, we'd go and play for the workers. And so, uh, you know, I, I'd be out on the road, I'd be bored, I'd be lonely. And, you know, I'd be in this tiny little restaurant, you know, a mom and pop restaurant, not, not a, you know, chain or anything, a mom and, you know, small little restaurant. And I would say to the waitress, I said, boy, that was a good food. You know, we had some, you know, we have a, a tradition back where, where I come from, you know, that I'm, I'm doing this Polish show and, and, you know, we, we like to, if we have a good meal, we'd like to sing for the cook. Can I sing for the cook? No, the woman would, what? <laughs> you want a what? And I said, it's an old tradition, you know? Can I sing for the cook? And she'd look at me, and she, you see her shouting back, you know, to the kitchen, hey, Charlie! <laughs> and you hear the guy, you know, he's flipping the hamburgers back there. What? He goes, this guy, he wants to sing you a song. He goes, he wants a what? <laughs> he wants to sing you a song. Can he sing you a song, right? And by this time, you know, it's a small restaurant. Everybody's like wondering what is going on. <laughs> so I have my Polish bagpipes underneath my seat, right? And as soon as they say, well, send them in, I pull out the pipes and I start playing the pipes in the middle of the restaurant. And I walk down into the kitchen and I'm playing the pipes right next to him. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> He's like looking at me oh. and the whole place is like absolutely, you know, dead silence as you know, and I finish it and they go, Oh my. And the woman, she take my, my check and she'd rip it up. And she uh. goes, this is on the house. <laughs> Anytime you're here, you can come back. We'll wow. be talking about this for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Singing for your supper. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, you know, it was about, I felt, and, and I learned, learned this later from Utah. Utah felt like your job as an entertainer starts as soon as you cross the county line. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't end until you leave. Yeah. So the entire time that you're there, you are basically on. So it's up to you to try to utilize that time, spend time with people, learn about that community, do different things to, you know, uh, to make sure that people get a chance to really see what you're doing and how the music is part of our community. And so I really took that very seriously. And I felt that that's why, the, to, to be honest with you, Ron, that's why my world has opened up like this is because I thought about that all the time that I didn't think of, of the, 
you know, this was another thing that Pete said to me a long time ago. He, he really didn't like the word folk singer. I like the word folk singer. He didn't like the word folk singer, but that's okay. You know, because he said it represented to too many people, a guy on stage with a microphone, you know, that that was folk music, you know, some old woman uh, sitting on her front porch with, with her guitar. No, that's not folk music because she's not professional folk singer. And I felt like music belongs to all of us and it's all around us. And we don't need a stage. You know, we don't need a stage. We make, you know, the theater, whatever situation that we have. And if you're only singing for one person and you make that person feel better, you know, that's important too. It doesn't have to be, you know, that big moment. It's great when you're on a big stage and all that, but that's not what this music is all about. As we talked about earlier, the reason that you could go over and talk to Elizabeth Cotton is because it was folk music, you know? I mean, it's a lot harder. I mean, I doing the TV show and stuff like that that I've been doing, it's easier for me to talk with other people that are more, you know, reserved, let's say, or <laughs> in the bigger entertainment world. Um, but I, I feel that it, we have a gift because of this music is so accessible. And any person can, can go over and, and talk to one another. And I hope this continues, that we can talk to one another and we can share our music together. And I think that's the whole idea, you know, with, with Michael Jonathan and, and the, um, the thing that we do together, the, 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 the song porch. farmers, yeah, front, and, right. you know, the song farmers is about that idea of building community with music. You know, there now there are chapters all over, uh, all over America and people get together and we don't have to agree with each other politically, you know, but we can sing songs together. And that's the first part. So this way that, you know, like, well, he's from Vermont, you know, but he plays the banjo, you know, and we can sing together. And, and that's the, the beginning of how we can start trying to make this world come back together. Absolutely. Well, because it's not together right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. It's a, it's a strange world we're currently living in, but uh, Rick and I, I want to thank you. You spent so, so much time with us today. And I just want to remind our listeners that your new book is called Banjo Man Adventures of an American Folk Singer. It is just a superb collection of stories and history about our, our nation, uh, the life that you've led, the people that you've met. And uh, I think a lot of people who may not even have an interest in folk music uh, can learn a lot about this country by by reading the book and, and your adventures. And they, they truly are adventures. Uh, how, how can uh, how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to, to get a Well, contact? I'm selling my book through my, my uh, website right now at Rick Polari. It's R-I-K- P A L I E R I dot com. And that's how people are ordering uh, my book. And I'm saying, believe me, there are people all over the world are <laughs> ordering my book. And uh, that's the way that I chose to do it. Um, I might uh, eventually put it on Amazon, but right now I like to do it because I'm in touch with the people. Mm-hmm. I, as, as you can see, you know, I, I assign the books. Uh, my wife is a handbook binder. We put in a, a bookmark, you know, I send a personal card. It's a personal thing. 
not just another you know pur purchase from a, a commercial store you know this is coming from me to you and that's the way i like to do it uh, so it's a wonderful wonderful project and i uh, wish you a lot of luck with it and uh my show Traditions is on Sunday afternoons, and I think you and I are on opposite times. You're on in Vermont uh, with your show Folk Talk, but uh, listeners can also catch it uh, Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on folkmusicnotebook.com. That, that's that been a fun program. You put some interesting shows. You've been doing that Ron, for what, about gave, two years? You, you gave me a big gift by having me on the Folk Music Notebook because it's inspired me to create a lot of programs that it's not just as as you know i do thematic programs and you know uh, everything from all different musical styles to one of my my the strangest one was like the one about the golden record that's that's out on voyager and the music that's on there right right <laughs> You know, and the the ones and the ones about the the one I just did this uh, this past uh, Sunday was about mentors, and I talked about the importance of mentors. and And I and I'd, I'd like to, to tell you know you listeners out there, of you know, thank your mentors, be a mentor. I think it's so important in today's world that we have mentors, and the ones that we have had that we acknowledged. We acknowledge the help that they've given us. Sure. It's something so important and uh, also helps us uh, figure out our own trails where we need to go and carry it on. Maybe not the same way as our mentors did, but we can certainly learn from their experiences and, uh, and carry it on. Well, Rick, again, I want to thank you for this. Uh, we look forward to, to more stories in the future and, of course, more great music and wonderful radio shows. And uh I, I, you know, you and I are looking at each other. I see you're home in Vermont today, and uh, hopefully you'll get back out on that road soon. Let's keep our fingers crossed we can get through this. And uh, any other plans for the future? Are you just working on the book and recordings now, or? Well, I'm just about, you know, I'm just about to to launch one of those Patreon uh, projects uh, because uh, we don't know what's going to happen. I can't even plan. Uh, you know, I mean, here in Vermont, we are really lucky that the Corona uh, uh, virus is low, the COVID-19, you know, uh, and we're starting to open up and, and do little shows. But that, that that's not I mean, I, I'm talking real about tiny little shows and nobody really knows if that's how that's going to work. You know, mm -hmm. they're sticking their foot in the water about how are we going to find a new normalcy in this I don't know. I mean, I can't, I had to cancel everything, everything. I, I lost the entire tour of Europe, mm. uh, which I had spent months working on and, uh, and they want me back, but we, we still can't figure out when. So I'm thinking that um, doing a Patreon at this point will be the way that I can continue to create uh, gives me incentive to do new things, and also what I'm hoping to do is a is an audio book of of this book, but different than just the book. I want to add in the music. I want to add in the recorded uh, archival recordings that I made. That you will actually hear some of the voices of these people that are in the book, and hopefully bring the book to life. 
you know, in a, like what I call it in my head is a sonic painting. So you'll actually not only read the words, but you'll, you know, you'll, you'll really feel that environment. So I'm, I'm working on that. I'm working on the idea of doing some uh, children's books, some, uh, some new recordings. So I have lots of different projects in my mind that I'm working on. And I think that's the best that, that I can do for right now. Yeah. Well, you're, you're such a creative guy. I'm sure you're going to find a way. And as you said, we're, we're, we're developing a new normalcy. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what, uh, what Rick Polieri has for us in the future. Rick, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we'll hope to catch you down the road sometime soon. Okay. Thank you, Ron. And that was Rick Polieri, the new book, Banjo Man, Adventures of an American Folk Singer. I'm remembering the days for I went away Way back in the hills of Old Vermont And the orchard on the hill I think I see it still Way back in the hills of Old Vermont For tonight I long to be Where the catamount run free And the rattlesnake can lie out in the sun Near the voices of the loons when the apple blossoms bloom Way back in the hills of Old Vermont There used to be a barn Near the old fishing pond Way back in the hills of Old Vermont More empty fields of hay Are vanishing each day Way back in the hills of Old Vermont For tonight I long to be Where the catamount run free and the rattlesnake can lie out in the sun Near the voices of the loons When the apple blossoms bloom Way back in the hills of Old Vermont Changed, nothing stays the same Way back in the hills of Old Vermont Like the old brown panther's roar You won't hear that no more Way back in the hills of Old Vermont For tonight I long to be Where the catamount run free And the rattlesnake can lie out in the sun Near the voices of the loons when the apple blossoms bloom Way back in the hills of Old Vermont For tonight I long to be Where the catamounts run free And the rattlesnake can lie out in the sun Near the voices of the loons When the apple blossoms bloom Way back in the hills of Old Vermont